Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. So hello and welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Anna Sills. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. Anna is the director of Advance. And Anna, perhaps you could, for our audience, just explain everything that Advance does briefly. Oh, absolutely. Now, briefly, that's the word. Okay, so Advance, we're actually trusted experts in regards to accountancy, subcontracting for the UK contractors. And although the recruitment businesses will find the work for contractors, we will actually provide the solutions for payments. So whether that's through Umbrella when they become an employee, whether it's through subcontracting and mainly in the CIS element, or people want to work through, as I say, a personal service company and we provide the service. So we provide the accounting service for them. So it really crosses all those arrays. So we're there to add an extension of the service from recruitment businesses. And what I mean by that is work in partnership. We don't isolate ourselves as, you know, this is what we do. We like to see ourselves as an extension of your own service. So to make sure that's a seamless process right the way through from onboarding of a contractor, right the way through to payments. So that's what Advance is about. And and parts of that, we pay thousands of contractors on a weekly basis. And one of our unique points, which we might get to later, is we have an umbrella with expenses option, which slightly separates us a bit more in the market, especially with IR35 around the corner. Absolutely, really important. And later on, I'm going to be asking Anna about some of the more innovative products that Advance um, has come up with. Now, Anna, Advance is an FCSA member. And for any of my listeners who are unfamiliar with FCSA, can you just explain what reassurance that gives uh, recruiters? The number one reassurance is compliance. So do you know what? That's a word that is used so much as in, and what does that actually mean from an FCSA point of view? So when you become an FCSA member, so this is not a partner or anything like that, that's an actual member, you go through a rigorous audit. And this happens yearly. And you I won't bore you with the details, but if you go onto the FCSA website, there is a questionnaire and this is not a checklist. This is a detailed audit that you have to follow and complete and then it's checked. Now our audits have been done by EY, which is part, you know, FCSA also have their, I guess, accredited providers that complete that audit and by by chance ours has been EY in the recent years and you have to pass that audit. It's rigorous. It gives you, I guess, as recruitment businesses, that extra layer of comfort through your supply chain. So compliance is used just 
as a as a word, whereas this gives you the the extra layer that I think you all need, especially as I say, we go into next year. Mm, okay. And firms do have their FCSA membership withdrawn, don't they? Oh, yes. And I think really can't emphasize this enough that I always say to recruitment business owners that I work with, don't work with any umbrella or finance partner who is not FCSA member. It's just too risky, isn't it? Now, we're recording this episode actually just before Christmas, but it will be broadcast in January. And just before we started recording, Anna, you were saying it's been really busy and you're expecting another fast moving train come January. Because there's been so much discussion around IR35, a lot of the the businesses that I work with and talk to who are big places of contractors and temporary workers have already done a lot of groundwork. Now, we're not going to go back through the basics here. I'm going to assume that most listeners are well aware that come April, there is the delayed shift in liability under the IR35 regulations. In other words, the liability for a wrong determination will now pass to the end user or client, yes? And if there is therefore a wrong determination, that end user is liable to pay a lot of back tax. And if a recruiter is involved in that, then they could also be liable. And I do speak to a lot of people who seem to think that they are still an exception when they're not. So again, I think most of our our clients are well aware that the big issue here is whether a someone who currently has a contractor status, in other words, is working through a limited company, actually is subject to supervision, direction and control, in which case, going forward, they will almost always be liable to pay PYE. And that's a big change in our market and one that the public sector went through a few years back. Now, what I'd really like to focus in on, Anna, is some of the very persistent misconceptions that are still floating around in all the communities that are affected. So recruiters, yes, but also amongst clients and contractors, because very often it's the recruiters are the the bearer of bad news (laughs) to incredulous contractors, I've found. Um, So I'd like to just give you an example of when I heard just the other day, a recruitment business owner, small firm, assured me that the IR35 changes would not affect him because, and I'm quoting, because they were a really small recruitment business and they only had fewer than 12 staff. And that really worried me. (laughs) The person I was speaking to had not even realised that the criteria for being affected by this is not about the number of staff that the recruiter has, is it? No. So have you come across that misconception, Anna? Yeah, that's one of many, I think, misconceptions. And and I guess it doesn't apply to some kind of small kind of businesses. However, the probably the people you're speaking to, Alison, it would apply to the majority if I was a, as a guessing person. So, you know, my advice in terms of to get away from those misconceptions is actually profile your workers. So the misconceptions at the moment, I would say, from contractors especially, are I'm just going to sit here and wait to be told, which, do you know what, they're currently liable, so I get that. And they're thinking, do you know what, I'll just sit here and wait, because why wouldn't you? Because the biggest impact to those PSEs is going to be their take-home pay. That is all they are bothered about. 
So based on that, they're sitting there just thinking, if I keep quiet, it's not going to happen to me. I'll just see how long it happens before someone contacts me. So they're just sitting there. And, and although that's that's right in some ways because the client should be engaging with them, they should be out there thinking, how's this going to impact me? What can I do now to think about, do you know what, I do think this is going to impact me. So the things they should be considering, and, and this is what we found very much so, is they should be talking to people like ourselves, getting some take-home pay calculations that advises them to make some informed decisions. They should be thinking about compliance and they should also be thinking, well, do you know, I can talk to another provider, an umbrella provider, potentially, if that, that's the route they go down. And I could actually set up, get everything in place so I'm ready to go because, do you know what, no margins retained until a timesheet's received. So that could be, I don't know, May next year, but that that's what they want to be looking at. And also how long their contract's for, so how long their current assignment is. So they're the kind of things that the the kind of PSEs. Now, from a recruitment point of view, I personally, this is a personal opinion, what's happening at the moment is a lot of consultants, recruiters are thinking, I'll just sit here and I'll I'll sort of wait. It's not, it's not, it doesn't really impact us. So it's really the end client's problem. And I'll just wait for them to advise what's going on. And again, if you're not engaging with your clients, you're going to score some, you know, own goals there. You should be engaging with your clients and and profiling your workers. And that that would be my advice that rather than sitting there, as you talked about, Alison, the train's coming. Why would you want the train to get into the station and then think, oh, I need to do something now? End clients, I think, as because the liability element, they're definitely taking action. And we're seeing that more of the communication is coming from the end client into the agency because they're saying, well, do you know what, what? The liability mainly sits with ourselves. So as a result, we need to take action. And that is communicating with the workers. So letters, whatever that may be. And we are finding a lot of clients are making blanket decisions. Do we have any kind of feel for what proportion of employers are making blanket decisions? Yeah, I can only go from my own experience across. Now, we deal with over 200 agencies and majority are affected in some way. Absolutely. I would say 95% are making blanket decisions. And you might say, ooh, why is that? And the, the real reason why that is, and this is, again, kind of down to the liability, is they just don't want the hassle. They just don't want to have to change working practices because, do you know what, that's where the liability sits. And and so as a result, making a blanket decision is the easiest option. It's the less time consuming and the less resource driven. Yeah. And of course, potentially very damaging for the worker and the recruiter in the margin, if, as you say, they are just waiting to be told. So we've got a, such a large proportion of people making blanket determinations that suggests that an equal proportion of the contractor workforce is going to move to a PAYE model, which is a massive shift, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And in your, again, in your experience, what proportion of people are actually aware of that at the moment? 
it's better than last year. So when I say last year, well, it wasn't last year, was it? It was uh, February, March this year, if you think about it. A lot, they're more aware of it. It's just been more out there. People are talking. But in terms of blanket decisions, they're just waiting around because they don't want to move. They are actually putting a fight up. They will not move until the very last minute. We have very recently, this didn't happen last time, we have a few agencies working with clients. They've already made that blanket decision. They've already communicated to their PSEs and they've said, right, we need to know the umbrella provider you've chosen. And most around advice, it's around ones on the PSL, FCSA compliant and all that. And you need to be set up and have chosen them by 1st of January, even though their payments don't take effect till March because what's happening is they want to plan ahead. They want to do that. So as a result, you're getting people with calculations. They're going ahead. They're setting up, but actually it's not impacting their payments yet. Right. So just to be clear, then you're saying that end users, clients are asking recruiters to confirm who is in their supply chain, umbrella providers, yeah, already. So waiting around to be told or just leaving it to the contractor to find someone, not a great route then. Would you agree? The train is, as, as we said, I know the train analogy is going to get a bit annoying, but no, you, you're just waiting around and it's not going to move from that station. So therefore, it's, nothing's going to happen. And I think the, the biggest bit of advice I will give at the moment, and there's still time. So let's not panic. There is still time. We're on the 10th of December, although I know this is going out in January. So there still is time in January. What the recruiters should be doing is profiling their workers. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, what I mean is you need to look at the PSE. So first of all, are they a PSE? For anyone who's not familiar with that, it's going to be very important. That's a personal services company. So someone who trades through the the medium of a limited company, which usually, not always, they are the sole director and employee. So as you said earlier, Alison, you said, you know, you do work with lots of agencies that have some contracting and some perm. So what you're looking at here is the PSE that's in contracting positions, so temporary, so going on temporary assignments. Then what you need to do is you need to work out with kind of um, your clients, you speak to them and say, right, have you thought about putting them into sections? So when do their contracts renew? So for example, I'm going to say this, are some going well beyond April? Or as it turns out, because of a particular assignment or a role, do you know what? Some finish at the beginning, end of March. Well, if they finish at the end of March for that particular assignment, that's going to be okay. But how do you then deal with that in the future? Or as some, you know what, starting new assignments now that take them for 18 months. And what? how are you going to communicate with those types of people? You should be liaising with your clients and you should be acting like the experts and you should be advising of the kind of employers and I kind of an apprenticeship levy liability that could sit with them. And that is a significant cost. So as a result, the more you engage with them now and you're profiling, and again, I can send this to Alison, we've got a document on this, which is very, very, very simple. It's not hard. It's just something you need to consider when you're putting all the different kind of clients workers into categories so you actually know what you're dealing with because one size isn't going to fit all depending on where they are with their assignments at the moment. 
Great. OK, so we'll we'll mention that again at the end of this podcast and, and how to get hold of it. Thank you, Anna. Just a note that before we even start looking at individual workers, if you think there's a chance that your clients are exempt from the IR35 changes, then it, that is well worth checking, isn't it? So exemptions, of course, include those businesses who are classified as a small company. So worth repeating, to meet that definition, they need to fulfil two of three conditions, uh, which is fewer than 50 employees. That's employees and workers, isn't it? Yeah. And or a turnover of less than 10.2 million in their last recorded accounts at Companies House and or assets of less than 5.1 million on their balance sheet. So two out of three of those, if they fit and your client is prepared to put that in writing, (laughs) then the whole IR35 issue goes away. And that is a concession that government has made to try and facilitate flexible working for smaller businesses, obviously. But the only other exemption is, of course, end user clients who have no UK presence. And that includes bricks and mortar or legal registration. Anything to add on that one, Anna? No, they're they're exactly the criteria. And I think people forget what those are. So you've got those spot on. And you know what? There will be people that fit into some kind of niche area will fit into that. But we're not finding that's the kind of consensus across. I'd say a large proportion don't fall into that. Of course. Right. So what we're saying then is step one, check that your clients aren't exempt from the changes, in which case, you know, if they if they are exempt, people can still supply PSC workers to them without a problem. Number two, Anna's outlined the importance of segmenting the temporary or, or contingent workforce into various categories, including whose assignment runs over the enforcement date and whose doesn't. Any other categories that you think are important for people to recognise at that stage, Anna? No, in, in terms of that, I would look at the only other thing from a kind of liability point of view, you may want to look at their their rates of pay. So when you actually put those into the different categories under each end client, you would actually look at kind of their rate per day. And what I mean by that, you would then multiple that by kind of the employer's NI, which is 13.8% and apprenticeship levy, which is 0.5 to work out what the proximate cost liability would be. Because that may, if you've got, I don't know, 100 of these kind of very high ends kind of guys, it will make you really look at that and think, right, we need to get this sorted. Mm, Right. So we are in a very different place, aren't we, with someone who comes inside IR35 in that, as you say, they have to have holiday pay, they have to have pension contributions. It may be the apprenticeship levy, employers NI. It's a very, very different calculation for the recruiter and the contractor to make, isn't it? Okay. So having segmented the workforce in conjunction with the end user client, What's the next step that you think recruiters should be taking? Okay, again, engaging with the clients so you can do that. And the other, it's it's a hard one, this one, because the liability sits with the end client. Now, if they are making blanket decisions, which I think I alluded to earlier, 95, 96% are, that means that no status determination statement. And what do I mean by that? That means a determination that puts you inside or outside. 
no status determination statement would be produced because they're just saying, do you know what? We don't want to deal with PSCs. So they've not put them through a rigorous kind of SDS, as they're calling it in the industry, which stands for status determination statement. And what that means is they potentially have more options. And I'm saying potentially because it depends on the circumstances with regards to what solutions they can go down. If you go through a status determination statement, that potentially limits your options. And what I mean by that, if you deem someone inside IR35 through a status determination statement, that then means they are subject to supervision, direction and control, which then means their opportunity to go into certain solutions you cannot do. And it also means you determine their status for that particular role. So that means, in effect, they won't be able to go down any other routes in the future because you've already determined their status. And it all comes down to status. In that assignment, yeah. So again, I found this to be a misconception among a few people, that the status is linked to the assignment. It is not something that automatically follows the worker. Absolutely. And there are a lot of contractors who who have this thought process that, well, you know, last year I was outside IR35, therefore I am outside IR35. It's nothing to do with that, is it? Well, not nothing, but it's actually, it, they could be inside IR35 for one assignment. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You've mentioned status determination statements, and most people are familiar with the horror stories around the government's CEST tool that was introduced when the changes were made in the public sector. There is a wider choice than CEST now. Could you just explain for the benefit of our listeners, Anna, how that works in practice? Okay, so I guess you're absolutely right. There is a variety, a variety, of, and, and advance have their own status tool for our clients that people are using and and end clients are using currently so so there's a there's an array out there and lots of misconceptions ours is very much we've bought the workflows the q a's from ey and we've we've in effect put that into our own software and what that does is it's all based on case law now there are lots of tools out there that is based on the worker completing the information, as in the PSE. Now, if the PSE is completing the information, the information's all about evidence and all the information put in there. So why would you ask the worker to complete that based on the liability sitting with the clients? It's just madness. So the the, the better tools out there, and I'm, I'm bound to say that because that, that's our tool, are ones that talk through based on case law and look at the three pillars of IR35 in terms of now you're going to test me now in terms of what they are but the biggest one on the difference on the CES tool is the CES tool gets very hung up on mutuality of obligation and they really really kind of home in on that and to be fair to the CES tool it's very very hard to break that down as well so that's the one that the one, the two other aspects are uh, substitution and control. And the, the main element of substitution is all about having the evidence in your working practices. And if you haven't got those kind of ev- evidence in your working practices, it's not just to do with your contracts. I mean, that's just that's contracts are contract. It's all to do with 
what's actually happening in practice, then, you know, that's 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 another own goal. So lots of tools are out there that take you down that route. The, the one I would say is there's lots around determining whether you're inside and outside and you want one that gives you that. It wants you to tell you, well, am I inside or am I outside? But what I would say is once you've had a determination and as I put it, a status determination statement that potentially can limit your kind of options going forward. So although the tools are great, if clients are making blanket decisions, it doesn't matter about the tools. To a recruiter who is taking details of an assignment that is going to start or extend beyond 5th of April 2021, they are then going to take the details, yeah, figure out what, you know, which um, workers they have that might be suitable and interested. And they're then going to ask their client to complete a status determination statement, yes? Yes, they can do. They can do. The the only thing I would say that client. So if they're looking to go down that route, yes. But as I say, many clients aren't choosing to go down that route. They're just saying we're not entertaining PSCs. So as a result, if it's a new assignment, yeah, he can work on that till April. But then after that, he needs to switch. Okay, but let's say we have someone who has a very special assignment and they are interested in attracting a, a perhaps a, a you know a very hard to find person maybe on a genuine consultancy basis and the recruiter offers them a service like yours your status determination and in discussion the client then completes that and it says yeah this this is outside IR35 what peace of mind does the recruiter and the and the end client have that they're not that decision is not going to get overturned by HMRC? Well, you don't, and I think that that's the point. The, that's why whoever is completing this is the the bit of advice I can give. Whoever is completing that status determination needs to make sure the evidence backs that up. So when you're keying in an answer to a question, okay, what's the evidence to back that up? Because you want an audit trail, you want them saved, you want it in a software that gives you that evidence. So if someone does come knocking, you can say, there you go, that's the details we have. So it's as good as the information you put in. So you want to make sure whether if it's someone at the agency putting it in, then it's not necessarily a consultant it could well be I'm not saying not to do but it could be the compliance team or however that works out and it's generally not the worker because if you say to the worker answer these questions well they're going to answer it in a certain way and also how are they going to give you the evidence of what's actually happening right okay so let's imagine that a result comes back and it says this assignment is inside IR35 and the client thinks, well, maybe not. You know, it's very difficult to persuade a contractor to do that job inside IR35. Are there in practice any aspects of an assignment that you might be able to change? In reality, I'm not talking about, you know, defrauding the system, but to change aspects of an assignment that would make it more likely to be outside IR35? Yeah, and I think that, that yes, um, as I say, our tool and other tools, I, I'm bound to say this, are very educational. So what that does, it allows you to play around with kind of roles. You don't have to put someone's name in. You can just play around with a specific role. So what you would need to do is see where it's falling kind of inside and, and there's no own goals in there. And you could play around with it and say, right, if I change this working practice, so it's more about the working practices on that kind of particular assignment. Again, 
you could have one assignment that's inside and one that's outside. So with that particular assignment, what what can what can be done to make that be outside? And let's be clear here, legitimately, you're you're playing to case law. Not all the tools are connected to case law, but good ones are, and you you get that all the way through your your supply chain. And, you know, you can do that. And absolutely, you can then go in and long as you, as I say, I keep reverting back, you're going to be bored of this. Long as you've got the evidence that that's in your working practices, of course, you can go back and change it and say, actually, we've tweaked this and we've done this. And and it's all backed up in kind of onboarding processes or whatever that may be. Yes, you can. And um, I know from experience that it's not one thing, is it? The HMRC make decisions based on the whole of an assignment as it were so there's no single silver bullet that if you for example um just say oh well the hours vary from day to day that is not a, you know an automatic win that makes the assignment outside our 35 but the combination of factors such as supervision direction and control right of substitution uh, whether there's a an end project that is delivered the regularity of the hours and the working, the place of work and so forth. A combination of those things can, in fact, if the client's willing to flex on the assignment, they could potentially take an assignment outside IR35. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the key elements here is there's three pillars. You talked about control, substitution, mutuality of obligation. And if you knock one of those down, and I know it sounds a bit odd, but if you knock one of them down and actually, in effect, get a kind of a minus as it as it appears in our tool. So for example, for substitution, then regardless of what you get in everything else, this is the weird and wonderful thing about the law, that would actually mean that particular assignment and that particular plea is outside IR35. So those three pillars are key in when you're looking at status determinations. Your industry is very resourceful and constantly coming up with new products and services. So last section of of our podcast today, I just want to ask about any new models or services that you think recruiters and indeed the um, workers who work through them would be interested in hearing about. Can you outline anything like that? Yeah, and I'll try to do it as, as specific as I can. One thing to bear in mind is if a status determination statement is done, then the options are limited. And I'll, I'll just talk through that in a minute. If a blanket decision, so let's say majority of people are making blanket decisions, and that's how it is at the moment because of where the liability sits. If that is the case and they have not put a contractor through a status determination statement, then what that means from an advanced point of view, again, all FCSA compliant, there is the ability, and I say the ability because it depends on lots of factors, to fix their expenses as part of being an employee of advance. And what I mean is going through the umbrella solution. So what I mean by that is because as a result of that, we will still have to do the supervision and direction control test with ourselves and it's a review and we do that over the phone but because you've not gone through that status determination statement it means you're starting afresh in effect and we can do that with you we will go through supervision direction and control if you pass 
Now, there's there's lots of kind of, and the FCSA have a list of, uh, I'm not going to list them all on, on this at all, of job titles that would instantly fail because they're very obviously under that. And then advanced have their own as well, which we've developed over time. And this isn't, by the way, a new solution. This has been, a, we've been doing this now for uh, nearly four years, actually. So it's, it's applied, it's not new. And what that means is a contractor can actually fix their expenses at the start of each assignment. Again, it's assignment. Alison, you alluded to that previously. It's by the assignment. And what they can fix at the start of the assignment is things like the, a non-mileage. So still can have mileage, which is variable. So they can still claim mileage, but the elements they can fix are their subsistence, what do I mean by that? That's basically their food. So even if they buy a bottle of water that costs a pound, but they are out of home, et cetera, they will be able to claim a potential five, some up to £10 a day, £5. And all you need to do is retain that receipt for your records. They'd be able to fix £25 a week, for example, if they're working five days. And then in addition to that, there's accommodation. So a lot of our contractors, and I'm sure you're aware of this, Alison, you know, they travel, they, they go Monday to Friday and they are actually away from home. They are able to fix that at the start of the assignment and anything else that is actually fixable. So what do I mean by that? If, for example, they had a particular cost to themselves, week on week incurred, but it was fixed, something like that, something you could be done around that. But the main two, the main two are subsistence, accommodation, and then the other one, which I, I nearly missed out there, I, I do apologize, is your travel. So for example, if you're going on a train, Everything you've got rail cards and it's the same time and you're doing that every single day, you would fix that. But the other element is mileage. So as you can imagine, if a PSC is moving from a different way of working to umbrella, which we're finding the majority, you're able to fix those. What that means is their take home pay and it, that's all it ever comes down to. And that's all we're getting inquiries regarding it's going to be better that way than it would umbrella no expenses. Now, people can be set up umbrella, no expenses, and, and that's absolutely fine if they are subject to SDC. However, the take-home pay won't be as great. And then the, the other thing to mention is CIS, and that may not be everyone's kind of, we're finding a lot of agencies that originally said, nah, we're not doing CIS. And now going into that, with a view that long as they've not had a status determination statement, that's another route for the contractors because that's a lot better take-home pay potentially than it could have been with umbrella no expenses. So people are leaving their options open. Right. And sorry, for our listeners, CIS stands for? Construction Industry Scheme. So that is mainly workers. And, and it's a weird kind of a type as in people that have been CIS all their life are CIS and they know the CIF and they think, right, well, I work in this scheme and I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of how that works. But basically all that means is they get 20% deduction at source. So they get their, their hours and then 20% deducted and then they can do a tax return at the end of the financial year to claim back some of their expenses. 
And thank you, Anna. And just to be clear, that that only applies to people in the construction industry, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Right. Okay. so unfortunately, we have run out of time and there's so much, you know, useful detail here. I hope that listeners have been able, perhaps if they are a little bit late to the game, been able to pick up that all is not lost, that there is a way to run a successful business with this change but that you need to be on the front foot rather than the back foot with your clients and your contractors if you're going to maintain that business and and build it going forward. And at the the beginning, you mentioned a checklist or a handout that you could provide. Where could people contact you to receive that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, anna.sills at advance.online. Or alternatively, you could go for yourself, Alison, and you can put them in contact with me if they've already got a relationship with yourself. And, And as I say, we can always do a kind of meeting with anyone regarding sharing our tool, if that's of benefit and talk through, I guess, the umbrella with expenses option as a solution if you want to as well. Anna, you obviously really know your business very, very thoroughly, and I'm sure there'll be listeners who will want to contact you. Thank you very much for spending time with me today. Anybody who'd like to get in contact, it's anna.sillls at advance.online. This is Alison Humphreys, alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk. And if anyone would like to talk about the strategy of their business or how they deal with new markets and indeed efficiencies and sustainability in in their existing markets please do get in contact with me and thank you very much for joining me thank you for your time today thank you you've been listening to the recruitment leadership podcast if you enjoyed our podcast please subscribe review and share so that others can find the podcast too we really appreciate your support If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.